today's Bible reading comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 29. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root comes up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he is promised. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Good morning, everybody. My thanks to uh, Anna for reading uh, our passage this morning as we return to our series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and now as we come uh, to, to hear from the Lord, let, let me just pray for us as we come. Let me pray. Father, we uh, are amazed that you would delight that we are here this morning, that you desire to draw near to us. And we simply pray an old prayer, what we know not teach us, what we are not make us, and what we have not give us, in Jesus' name, amen. We've been uh, exploring how Hebrews was written to help uh, a group of Jewish Christians who were finding faith and life very tough. And I wonder what kind of week you've had this week, what has been your experience now, we often call Hebrews a book or, or a letter, but it's very possible that Hebrews was actually a copy of a very early sermon that was preached during the time of the early church. And the receivers of the message of Hebrews were people who were formerly practicing Jews, uh, but were now followers of Jesus. And they were being tempted to turn away and to return to the Jewish practices and to the Jewish religion because they were facing intense persecution as followers of Christ. They were being tempted to turn back to what was comfortable. 
So this letter or this sermon of Hebrews was written or given to discourage this group from abandoning Christ. And if you can remember, the writer or the preacher, I suppose, has spent over 10 chapters explaining how Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, that he's superior to it in every aspect and in every way. And the writer, he acknowledges following Jesus is tough. It will require perseverance. It will uh, result in difficulty and trouble and persecution and rejection. It means that we'll be shaken But we're called to persevere, to keep clinging to him, to keep looking beyond the worldly to the eternal, to look ahead to what is coming. And in fact, not only is Jesus better than all you've ever known, he's the most secure foundation on which to build your life. That is the book, or that is the sermon, I suppose you want to put it like that, of Hebrews. And as I reflected on a structure for today, I decided to not pull any punches, which my wife said to me last night, well, when is that? not what you do. I'm not going to pull any punches. We're going to explore this passage through the lens of three very personal questions. And this passage, actually, I think is very personal and should get us to ask some personal questions. And I want each of us to ask ourselves these questions this morning. And only you personally can answer these three questions for yourself. Firstly, Am I a child of God and embracing what that means? Secondly, am I listening to God and following his way for my life? And finally, am I in awe of God and worshipping him with my whole being? I said they were big questions, didn't I? I'm not oblivious to the fact that these are big questions and they're personal questions, but if we're serious about knowing God and if we're serious about following him and understanding how to live for him, then we need to ask ourselves big personal questions and we need to be prepared to let God speak to us. And I want to say too, if our answer is no to any of these questions, we then need to ask ourselves another set of questions, which is why is that the case? What is stopping me from saying yes to those questions? What obstacles are there in my life which mean I cannot say yes to those questions? And are those obstacles worth it compared to knowing and enjoying God? That's our task this morning. It's a big one. It's a personal one. That's because we're here to meet with a big and a personal God. So number one, am I a child of God and am I embracing what that means? Let me just say here, because I don't want to assume anything this morning, this is what each of us here today is designed to experience and designed to enjoy. You were created for this purpose. You were created to know God and enjoy him. If you're searching for meaning, if you're searching for purpose or fulfillment for life itself, you and I were designed to have those things and enjoy those things, and we were designed to have and enjoy those things in our creator God. In God himself, we were designed to dwell near him or live with him, to follow him and his ways, to live life your way for long enough, and you'll soon find out that we were made for something more. And it's Jesus who opens up the way for us to live how God designed us. And our life really boils down to that one, quest- that one question, will we accept Jesus or will we reject him? And what is presented in our section of Hebrews this morning is effectively two ways to live. Our way or God's way? Do we listen to God's voice or our voice? Do we accept what Jesus has done for us and live for him? Or do we reject Jesus and live as we want to? 
And the way this choice is presented to us through the writer, uh, uh, through, through this passage is by the writer comparing two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And Mount Sinai was where God gave the law and the old covenant to Moses and to the Israelites, which, which we read about in the book of Exodus. And, but Mount Zion was the name given to the city of Jerusalem, which of course was built on a hill. But in the book of Hebrews, Zion is used to refer to the heavenly city of God. And the writer says that when we trust in Jesus Christ, what we experience and what we encounter and what we receive is so much greater than what happened at Mount Sinai when God gave the law to Moses. Let me read again what Anna read to us, verse 18 to 21. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the, mount, uh, the, the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Imagine the sight of that mountain in the book of Exodus. Think about the sights and the sounds and the smells. It would have been awesome in the actual sense of the word, awesome, and it would have been terrifying. God had led the people out of slavery in Egypt to this mountain, and the very majesty of God was resting on the mountain. His presence was there. And as you look at it, you would probably conclude that it was not exactly a presence that drew you in, not really somewhere that was calling you up to join in. Because as, it's, as we've read the people and Moses himself were terrified at the sight and at the sound. And so in that sense, even under the old covenant that God gave to Israel, God remained hidden and he remained remote to them. In the old agreement, God still remained distanced in a sense. But this is not because God is, is dark or evil or wants to be distant. No, that is not our God. In fact, it's the opposite. It's because of his supreme goodness, his supreme purity, his light and his holiness that we cannot approach him. And it's because the people, just like us, were broken and sinful and lost. And their sin and our sin meant the distance between God and humanity had to be maintained. God's very goodness would consume them. Or even an animal touching the mountain had to be stoned to death. The awesome goodness and purity and light of God. Mount Sinai says and declares to us, we are not worthy to approach. Do not draw near. Now perhaps seeing God this way, perhaps he would make, he'd make you think that maybe the people would listen to him, right? That this, this is awesome experience would lead to obedience, it would lead to trust. Well, we know the Old Testament records for us how God's people, they refuse to listen to him. Actually, even as this event was taking place, as Moses was called up to the mountain to speak with God, by the time Moses came back, the people had already started worshipping something else. They had constructed their own God and had forgotten about the God who had saved them from Egypt and whose presence was actually dwelling on the mountain itself. But the writer of Hebrews says, that, that Mount Sinai, that's not the mountain we've come to. That's not the agreement or the, co the covenant that we experience. We have not experienced God at that mountain. We've experienced God in an even greater way. We've come to a different mountain, as it were, a different kind of mountain, Mount Zion, God's holy city. What is the experience of those at this mountain? What is the experience of those who have come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, let me read it for you again, verse 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We've come to a spiritual mountain. We've not come to a mountain of gloom or storm, but we've come to become part of the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Our experience is not one of fear. You and I can draw near to the same God who dwelt on Mount Sinai. You and I can, like Moses, go up to the mountain and be drawn right into the very presence of God himself. That is the way that Jesus has opened up for us. That is the access that Jesus has opened up for you and for me. That sin that separates us from a holy and an awesome God. His son, Jesus Christ, took it all. All of our sin, all of our brokenness. He took it all and he was consumed by it on the cross. He took it all, dined with it and buried it. And he rose again to give us access to God for each of us to have and for each of us to enjoy. This is the mountain that we've come to. The experience that we now enjoy through Jesus. This is the experience Jesus invites us to. Because he's dealt with our, with our sin and he's forgiven our sin and our brokenness. And if we come and bow the knee to Jesus and give our lives to him and seek to live his way, through him we gain all we need. And I mean, look at what the passage says here. Look at the incredible place that we've been given. Look at those statements on the screen. We've come to and become part of something where thousands and thousands of angels are gathered together worshipping God. When we sing on a Sunday morning, just as we've sung just now, we join with the angels who continually cry out praise to God who sits on the throne. And you know the Greek word here for joyful assembly? It means an incredibly raucous party. It does. In the Greek, an incredibly raucous party as the angels are before the presence of God, worshipping and praising and enjoying him. We don't often think of God like that, do we? We don't often think of time with God like that, but it should be. That's what we're invited to. We've also come to and have become part of the church of the, the firstborn. God's gathered people who are the firstborn, which in Bible times means the one who inherits everything. If we've accepted Jesus into our lives, then God thinks of each one of us as if we were his firstborn, the one who inherits. We inherit the blessings alongside Jesus himself. And the passage goes on. Our names are written in heaven. God has accepted us and he's chosen us and he's written our names down in his book. If you're in Christ this morning, your name is written in the book of heaven. We belong to him. We've come to and we've been accepted by God, the judge of all, says our passage. And despite the fact that we've sinned and come short of God's glorious standard as the perfect judge, our spirits have been made righteous and perfect in Jesus Christ. We've been made righteous by trusting in him. If you've trusted in Jesus, then God has declared you to be righteous and holy. In God's eyes, you are as righteous and as holy as Jesus himself. How has, how has, how has Jesus done that? Because the judge of all the earth came to bear our judgment, not to bring it. Because the judge of all the earth came to bear our judgment, not to bring it. 
That's why Christianity is separate from any other position or any other worldview, because the judge satisfied justice by the sacrifice of himself that you would not be punished. That's the new covenant that Jesus has established as our mediator, says verse 24. One written in his blood, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is that referring to? Well, Abel was the first person in the Bible to die and have his blood shed. And his death, his his shed blood cries out the word vengeance. It cries out the word judgment. But Jesus' blood doesn't cry out for vengeance. It doesn't cry out for judgment. Instead, it speaks a better word, says our passage. It speaks the word forgiveness. In Christ, God the righteous judge has completely forgiven you through the sacrifice of his son. You can enjoy intimacy with him forever through his son. And we can draw near to the God who made everything. Enter his presence boldly with no fear whatsoever. Intimate access to the king. I like what Tim Keller once used as an analogy about the intimacy that we enjoy with God. He said this, The only person who would dare to wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. That is the access we enjoy. We can go into the presence of Yahweh and ask him for a glass of water. That is the beauty of the intimacy that Jesus has won for you. We have two mountains. We have two ways. I know which mountain I want to be at. Church, this on the screen, this is your identity. This is you here and now. This does not change. I really hope that these things are true for all of us this morning. and I don't want to assume that, so I ask you the question, have you come to this mountain? If you are yet to give your life to Jesus, to surrender to him and say, Jesus, thank you for being consumed for my sin on the cross, for burying it and forgiving it and for rising again to give me new life. I give my life to you today. If you've not said that today, why not make today that day? Why not become a child of God today? Why not make these the truth of your life today, your identity today. And for those of us who have done that, what is hindering our joy in these things? Because these things, say our passage, are unshakable. They do not change. Every day when you wake up, these are the same. And when you go to bed, these are the same. They don't change. Circumstances do not and cannot touch them. Amen? They do not touch them. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. You are a firstborn who inherits all of the blessings of heaven. You are welcomed into God's presence. Don't shy away from him. That's not the mountain that you have come to. God is a consuming holy fire. But you will not be consumed because Jesus did that on the cross for you. Come to him and enjoy him. My second big question, which I suppose is a response to the first. Am I listening to God? Am I following his way for my life? The people who experienced what happened at Mount Sinai, they chose to reject God. They chose to refuse what he said, even though what happened was was awesome. But what we've experienced and we continue to experience through trusting in Christ is much greater and much more awesome. And so we need to make sure that we we do the opposite of what the people did at Mount Sinai. They refused God. They rejected God. We need to receive God and we need to accept him. Have a look at what verse 23 says. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, 
how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If we say that we follow Christ, then this should result in continual acceptance of him into our lives at a deeper level and a continued listening to what he says. We need to make sure we don't refuse him who speaks. If we would call ourselves children of God, those who inherit, then we must not refuse God when he speaks to us when he gives instruction and when he gives warning. Let me read verse 14 to 17 for us again. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Now, these verses will be familiar to those who have looked at Stuart's devotions this week. So uh, if you read them, uh, if you did read them this week, you can fall asleep for the next bit if you want. I won't mind. It's okay. It's an opportunity for you. But here we get instructions and we get warnings of what it means to live as God's people. To live as good heirs of the blessing of heaven. If we enjoy all of the blessings that we've discussed, then our response should be worship. And not just in word, but in our actions. Our lives should be acts of worship to God for what he's done for us in bringing us into his city. Now these things, they may not seem that big when you first read them, but to live them out wholeheartedly is a mighty task. Without real thought and without real discipline. And remember that our passage and it's up there on the screen, starts with, make every effort. These things will take time. These things will take discipline, and they will take intentionality. And they will take the work of the Spirit in our lives, absolutely. We can't produce this, produce this by ourselves, but we must play our part as well. Make every effort. Our first instruction is about peace and holiness. In the light of forgiveness that God has given to you through Jesus, We are to make sure we forgive those who sin against us. We should do everything we can to maintain good good relationships with those around us, and especially those in our church family. We do not want to give our enemy, the devil, a place or an opportunity to bring disharmony and to bring disunity, even if it's something small. We must work hard in maintaining good relationships with everyone we call brothers and sisters. We're about, after this, we're going to take communion. We're going to share bread and wine together. It's a moment of unity. It's also a moment of examination. If we have a hurt or a grievance against someone in the room, we should put that right before we take the bread and take the wine. If you read 1 Corinthians 11, that is the idea. Disunity and disharmony is something that the devil wants in Jesus' church. We need to guard ourselves against it. And then we have, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In Jesus, God has made you holy, and he's declared you to be holy through trusting in him and what he's done in the cross and in the resurrection. Our spirits are righteous, and our spirits are perfect. That is our identity, says this passage. But sometimes our behavior doesn't always match up to our identity. And the point is here that we are holy, so let's be holy. You are holy, so let's be holy. Our behavior should match up to our new identity. And now holiness here, says the writer, is to be pursued, 
the Greek word pursues you literally means hunt it down. We're to track it relentlessly. Personal holiness. It's an uphill climb. It's like riding a bike. And if you quit pedaling, riding a bike uphill, you will go backwards. It's something to be pursued relentlessly. Our task as children of God is to live in the light of our identity, and this involves hunting down personal holiness. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century, once said these words, you will never gain holiness by standing still. Nobody ever grew holy without agonizing to be holy. Sin will grow without sowing, but holiness needs cultivation. Follow it. It will not run after you. You must pursue it with determination, with eagerness, with perseverance as a hunter pursues its prey. Personal holiness will require discipline and it will require our effort in pursuit. It will mean taking drastic measures at times. It will mean deleting that app. It will mean leaving that social media platform. It will mean not taking that route home anymore. It will mean leaving that friendship group. It will mean having the tough and awkward conversation. It will mean telling someone we trust about temptation that is affecting our lives and our souls. It will mean installing accountability software. It will mean taking those steps if we're serious about pursuing personal holiness. And it'll also mean taking proactive, positive steps. It'll mean picking up our Bible daily to wash our minds and our hearts. It will mean reading a good book or listening to a good podcast rather than being lost in TikTok or YouTube or Netflix. Another quote which may be hard to hear, but it is beneficial for us. I read this this week. For most of us, the greatest enemy to our faith is not some cataclysmic event that messes up our faith, but it's the slow rot. It's the slow rot of TV and social media and new cars and new toys. And we'll likely continue doing Christian things, but we do it without the soul of passion for God and the faith that pleases Him. It's the slow rot that gets most in the end. Let's be people who take big steps to pursue peace and to pursue holiness, living out that identity that Jesus has won for us. Let's strive for a passion and a faith for God that burns brighter and brighter. Have you got rot that needs dealing with? We're then told to not fall short of God's grace and that no bitterness grew up within the community, that we not be sexually immoral and that we not be godless. Now, there's a lot in there. could do a sermon on each one of those things. But let me start with God's grace. God's grace, God treating us in a way that we don't deserve by forgiving us and giving us a relationship with himself, giving us eternal life, that grace is given to us. But we can fall short of it. We can fail to respond to what God has done for us. And we can behave in ways that treat God's grace with contempt. The reference to a bitter root in our passage, growing up in the community, that's a reference uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 29 where the children of Israel were warned to not let idolatry grow among them like a poisonous weed that spreads and infiltrates a whole garden. And these two things are linked, really. 
Idols are basically anything that takes the place of God in our life. Something or someone we worship other than the God who has made us and has saved us. Another way of putting it is to say idolatry is when something matters to you more than God does. When something matters to you more than God does. We might not worship a physical idol, but there are all sorts of ways in which we can give ourselves to other things or to other people. We can give our time, we can give our money, we can give our attention, our affections to things or to people other than God. We can seek people's approval, a qualification or an academic achievement or a power or position or a success. Being seen as successful in the world's eyes or your peers' eyes or your parents' eyes. Don't worship idols, says Hebrews. Worship God and worship God alone. Because God's grace should motivate us and drive us to live godly and holy lives, but we can choose to ignore God's grace or even treat it with contempt and even abuse it, putting other things or people before the God who has given us everything. Despite all the things we inherit in Christ, we can still put other things before God and not listen to him when he speaks. In our passage on the screen there, we're introduced to a character called Esau. You can read about Esau in the book of Genesis. He's highlighted as someone who is godless and treated the honor that he had as an heir with great contempt. Esau, he traded all the promises that God had given to his father Jacob and to Jacob's descendants all for a quick meal. Esau was the firstborn son, and all the promises about a land and a special nation descending from him were for him, but he was more interested in living for the moment. He was more interested in the quick meal, in the comfort now. And he was godless, says our passage. And the warning for us is to make sure we focus on what really matters and on that which is eternal rather than stuff which is just temporary, which doesn't last. Be godly, don't be godless. Don't reject God for a momentary craving. Don't see material comfort now and reject God's voice. Live for the eternal rather than what the world offers and chases after. Let us be people who live for God's heavenly city and for his kingdom. Don't just focus on the here and now. The Bible makes clear when you and I enter Jesus' presence and see what he has for you and me there, we will barely give what the world offers a second glance. Don't live for the now empty it's worthless nothing live for what's coming live for what's ahead and as god's people our whole being is to be marked by holiness displaying a character like jesus our king walking in his footsteps and this also includes not just how we think and how we behave and how we treat others but also how we treat our bodies which is why sexual immorality is mentioned here Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside the marriage of a man and a woman. Now, much of what our culture would say is, give in to temptation. Live for the now. Gratify yourself before your life is over. Arrange your life so that you can feel good. And it displays things like pornography or sleeping around or having sex with your partner before marriage as something to be embraced and that will satisfy. And sadly, not only do those things not satisfy, they can lead to slavery, to sensual desires, they can lead to addiction, and they can lead ultimately to destruction of our minds on our bodies. And we have to choose to live God's way and be disciplined with ourselves, including how we use our bodies and what we choose to look at and what we choose to think about. 
As God's children, we are tasked to live holy lives that honor him, choosing his way because it was how we were designed to live. And this may mean that we need to take steps to guard ourselves against immorality, putting measures in place to protect ourselves from evil and temptation. What measures do we need to take in our lives to protect ourselves? Is God speaking to you and to me this morning about how we treat our bodies and what we think about and what we look at? Which brings me back to my second question. Are we listening to God? In all of these areas of our life, peace, personal holiness, how we treat others, idolatry, uh, sexual immorality, godlessness, these are the, this is the moment to examine ourselves. This is the moment to ask, where is God speaking to me on this? Where is the, the rock that I need to deal with? Where is God speaking? Or perhaps more seriously, I put it like this, where are you and I ignoring him? Because God is always speaking. So where are we ignoring him? Where are we not letting the light shine in our lives? See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, verse 25 says. This is the God who has saved us in his son, the same God who made a nation tremble at his mere presence. Are we living for him and listening to him in reverence and awe, which is where I lead to my final question and where I finish. Am I, are we in awe of God and worshiping him with my whole being? Be bold to say, yes, I feel. We have two final instructions in verse 28 to 29. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Do you know what's utterly astounding about God? Who is a consuming fire... He acted in justice by instead of letting us be judged and consumed, he turned justice on himself and let himself be consumed in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He let himself be consumed so that we would not be consumed. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? But it's true. We sometimes think God doesn't love us. And when we look at circumstances in our lives, we struggle to see where God is. But then you have to look at the cross. Because in his son, our very sin consumed him on the cross. Jesus took your sin, he took my sin, and he walked into the fires of hell with it. And he burnt it up so that you and I could be saved from hell, be forgiven and receive an inheritance that will never fail, never spoil, never fade. Amen? As we sit here this morning, if you're a child of God, that is your place. That is your position. That is your mountain. Yet so often we forget or we take for granted the fact that God has forgiven us and he's made us right with him and given us a new identity and a new life. He's made us citizens of his eternal kingdom, his eternal city. Do our lives so that we're thankful. Thankful lives look different. Thankful lives demonstrate their thankfulness by living to please God in response to his generosity. If you would look at my life, would you conclude that I'm thankful to God for all he's done for me? Don't answer that question. If you would look at my life, would you conclude that I'm thankful to God 
for all that he's done for me? Is my life a worship song to God in everything I do? Does my life bring pleasure to God? That's what worship is. And we think, when we think of who God is and what he's done for us, how can we do anything but worship him by serving him with our whole heart? Where, where in my beliefs or my thoughts or my words or my actions do I need to make every effort for Jesus? What is impacting my walk with God? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to turn away from? Where am I being an ungrateful heir to the one who has given me everything? When we look at the mountain we've been brought into, the city which is now ours to enjoy, how could our response ever be anything less than a full heart and a full life dedicated to Jesus Christ? So let's just reflect then this morning. What are your thoughts and your answers to these questions? And how does God want you to respond? And what is he saying to you this morning? Because as the passage says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. It's big stuff that we've talked about this morning. But please look at those questions on the screen and think about them. Answer them in your mind, in your heart, in your life. Am I a child of God? Am I embracing what that means? And if no, what's stopping me from doing so? Am I listening to God and following his way for my life? And if no, what's hindering me from doing so? Finally, am I in awe of God and worshiping him with my whole being? And if not, where in my life and in my heart am I living irreverently, lacking a worshipful awe for the one who has given me everything. I'm going to invite you all to stand. I'm going to invite the band up to lead us in praise. But I want you to stand. I want you to, all of us to really take a moment now to think about what we've talked about. And I want you to reflect on all that God has brought you into. All that God has offered you. Perhaps you want to close your eyes if you find that helpful. But I want you to think about what is God saying to me? I want you to clear your mind and ask God, God, what, what's hindering me to have a walk like this? What's hindering me from seeing the joy in the things that you've brought me into? These things do not change. Your identity does not change. You are in Christ if you've trusted in him. But what's stopping you living in the joy of that? But what spaces and places in your life are you ignoring him? Drowning him out with other things? And what places do you need and I need to be living as a grateful heir to the one who has given us all things? Father, I pray that you'd help us to do serious business with you this morning. Speak now to us as we worship and praise you, thanking you for who you are. You are a consuming fire who in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was consumed so that we would not have to be. We praise you for him. We worship you now in Jesus' name.